Okay, if you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians as we are nearing the end of this book. 1 Thessalonians, we've been looking at the genuine church and this genuine church has a genuine hope. Authentic hope because their hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, we know, talked about that great catching away where the Lord would come back, but not to earth. It was where we who are remaining will be called up. The church will be called up to meet the Lord in the air. We call it the rapture, getting it from a Latin term, but... um, It is a catching away. Now, if we're still here when the Lord comes back for his church, then we will be called up. We'll be changed instantaneously. And those who are asleep, those who are dead, he uses that word asleep in that chapter uh, differently than he does in in chapter 5. But those who are asleep in the Lord, uh, talking about those who have died because they were questioning what will happen to these have died because will they miss that great uh, that day when the Lord comes back and he said no they will be caught up first and they'll be changed instantaneously they'll have a glorified body also and then those who remain will be caught up and uh, be united with the Lord also in the air now that wasn't the only uh, concerns they were having Just like anybody on the end times uh, that has studied about the end times, you know that it's very difficult. There's many different views and there's uh, uh, many different things that come into question. And even those that have most of it under their belt, or they seem to, uh, will let you know that there are certain things still that, uh, you know, are questionable that that they have a, a difficulty with. And it was the same way with these Christians. They were fairly new Christians, and they had been taught about the coming of the Lord. They had been encouraged by this, and they were looking for the Lord's return. And uh, they said, well, what's going to happen after that? And what will happen, what's the events that will happen before the Lord comes back? And And he reminded them of previous teaching, evidently, that he had taught them, and that was a concerning the, after the rapture, there'll be the tribulation period. That will be a time of tribulation. And the latter part, divided into three and a half years, the latter part will be the great, considered the great tribulation. It will be the intensity of it. It will be when the Antichrist will have come forth to rule and reign. And when people, um, uh, you know, are just, totally in in, uh, opposition to the Lord and the Lord's judgments are coming upon them uh, with uh, rapidity, with with rapidness, one right after another, trying to get their attention, but it seems like their hearts are hardening uh, with each case. Now, there will be those who are saved during that time because the Lord will send out witnesses. He will have uh, the two witnesses that, that come uh, and that are uh, killed and then raised uh, before all people. Uh, probably uh, will be worldwide uh, as far as uh, TV and everything else. They'll be able to see it. But then there also will be 144,000 Jews who will be 
sent out and protected by the Lord as witnesses to witness to not only the Jews but the Gentiles uh, who are lost. Uh, but it will be a very difficult time. It will be a time where, uh, you know, you have to be very careful because with each witness, uh, you certainly are risking your life. And so it's, it's different than today in our day and time. But he talks about this in chapter 5, and he talks about a little bit about this day. Uh, and he, uh, in, in talking about it, he lets them know that they're not going to be involved in it. Remember, he says, or he's basically saying, remember, you're going to be called up. So he's just encouraging them once again that they're not going to have to be a part of the day of the Lord. This day uh, that's called, or this time called the tribulation. And the reason being is because they are not children of night any longer. They are children of the day. So we have... <coughs> The church age that we're in right now, the Lord is coming back for his church to rapture it up right before the day of the Lord or the, uh, uh, you know, the time of tribulation. And this will be a time of uh, awful uh, uh, plagues and, and uh, all kinds of uh, things happening to this earth that we've never experienced before uh, in even, even, even in greater uh, proportion and, and uh, awfulness than the time with uh, uh, Egypt. I mean, it would be worse than that. And so, uh, we'll, uh, you know, there'll be the uh, tribulation, and there'll be the, uh, during that time, as I said, these witnesses who will go out, and there will be people saved. And then right at the end, there will be uh, just one judgment right after another, and there will be the coming of the Lord, the battle of Armageddon, and, and then um, there will be the, uh, the millennial reign. And uh, after that, Satan's released. He's bound during that time, and Satan's released after the millennial reign. And, and those that did not believe during the millennium but obeyed the Lord, they will uh, you know, follow Satan, and, and they'll be judged. There'll be the great white throne judgment. Uh, which the Christian will not have to appear at because he, uh, his judgment will be a judgment where it's a judgment of Christ. Uh, when the church is called up, uh, we are rewarded at that judgment seat. It's a different kind of judgment. And so our sins have been taken care of. We've accepted that being, those being taken care of because when we accept the Lord, uh, he uh, took care of them on Calvary. Uh, and that judgment uh, does not fall on us. But those who refuse that, uh, that acceptance will have to face the great white throne judgment. And then they'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. So that's basically the overall view. But what we're going to finish up in these verses, uh, verses 5 through 11, is uh, the picture that he gives us, a brief picture of this time of tribulation, the day of the Lord, he calls it. Now, as to the times and the efforts, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, and this is during the tribulation, while people are, are living this way, be like in the days of Noah, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. Here he is, letting them know why 
they're not going to have to go through it. That the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. He's sharing with them how they are to live. Even though they're not going to have to go through it, they should live this way so that they can share with other people uh, and hopefully them accept the Lord and become children of light where they won't have to live through it. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, and that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. In other words, they were doing it. He said, keep on doing it. Because he knew that, just like all of us, there'll be scoffers who will come and they'll say, hey, I've heard this for years you've been teaching this for years it hasn't happened and it's not going to happen and so he's encouraging them he says now you're living that way with that hope now don't let that hope fizzle because if you do you'll begin to compromise in your life you'll begin to listen to them and if you're not careful you'll begin to have doubts because of sin in your life because of not being committed like you should be to the Lord and you will lose that assurance and that comfort and that hope. Even though it may be there for you, you'll lose it because of not living that way. So, first of all, uh, as we've uh, looked at this passage, he says, number one, we should avoid uh, date setting. And he, t he talked about that. He says, you know, you don't know the time or the season. In other words, uh, when all of this is going to happen. So, you can look at events. We're not to not look at events. We're not to not look at prophecy. We are to look at that. Anyone that tells you not to or not, you, you know, that's foolish, they are not biblically correct. They are not looking at the scripture the, the way that they should. We are to look at that. He lets us know this. We're just not to be date setters. It's not for us to know the time. And so there's different reasons for that. So we are not to be date setters. He just says, second of all, be ready. Live as though he's coming back at any time. And then he says, and don't get discouraged if he doesn't come back when you think he might come back. He says, he gives him the contrast. Remember, you're children of light. And so... After saying all of that, then he says, okay, here's a challenge for living. Since we're not children of darkness, and the day of the Lord will, uh, you know, come, it will not overcome us because we're children of light. But we should live differently, carrying out the great commission. And with that, hoping and praying that others will become a part of the family. Others will become a children of light like we are so that they will not have to experience this awful time. And then the judgment, the final judgment. And they will be brought 
from darkness into light. So the tragic result of unbelievers' unpreparedness for the day of the Lord is that they will not escape. So we should be sharing this with them. We should be living it before them. They will not escape divine judgment. But for believers, he says, they have the comfort and the comfort of knowing that they will be raptured before the coming of the day of the Lord, before this awful time. So this should motivate us to live with expectancy and commitment evangelizing the lost. Those who re refuse the offer of eternal life will experience God's temporal and eternal wrath. Now there's many different groups in this world. There's ethnic groups, different cultures, different languages, different religions, and different political systems. But there are only really two types of people. There are lost and there are saved. There are born again and those who are lost sinners. There are those who are redeemed and those who are unredeemed. And Paul assured the Thessalonian believers that they were of the redeemed group, that they would not have to experience this horrible time because the Lord had delivered them from this with the rapture. He did this with the use of pronouns, they and them, in verse 3. And Paul also assured them with a series of contrasts between night and day people. Paul tells the believers that they were children of light and the darkness of judgment was for the children of darkness. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. The phrase, but you, introduces a contrast with verse 3 where Paul uses they and them to refer to unbelievers who will not escape the day of the Lord. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And he also uses the term, as I said, brethren, uh, which further emphasizes the point that they are not going to be of this time, that they will not experience the day of the Lord. The reason being, believers are not in darkness. Believers possess an entirely different nature. They are no longer of Satan's kingdom. Jesus invaded this sinful world. In John chapter 1, John tells us the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And Jesus told Nicodemus, the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that its deeds be exposed. In John chapter 3. But Paul told the Ephesians, This I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts.
heart. So unbelievers are in darkness because they have not believed the truth, received the truth, and because they love wickedness more than righteousness. So all believers once were formerly in darkness. These believers at at Thessalonica were formerly in darkness, but now they were children of light. They were light in the Lord in Ephesians 5, 8. Paul describes this conditional change graphically in, in Ephesians 2. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The unbelievers are children of wrath, even as a rest, he said. We were once that way, but because we came to the light, and who is the light? Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We became children of light. Believers are not lost in the darkness of ignorance, sin, and rebellion. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called believers the light of the world. We are the light of the world. John describes us as believers who walk in the light as he himself is in the light in 1 John 1.7. Believers have a new nature. We talked about that this morning. We are new creatures in Christ. We're no longer unbelievers who only have their fallen nature. Believers, therefore, are men who are in Christ and women who are in Christ who are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He made him who knew no sin to become Sin for us or sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We put on God's righteousness in Christ Jesus when we receive it. It is impossible for man, as we talked about this morning, to work for his salvation, to think that he can be good enough, to think that he can be righteous enough to do righteous acts because he is in a fallen state. He has a sinful nature. He cannot perfectly live up to the law. So it's impossible for us to become believers on our own. But what's impossible for man is possible with God. And that's why he gave us salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And since believers are sons of light, and this is an an idiomatic expression and it's often describing the, uh, the dominant influence in a person's life. In other words, Paul was saying the light is a dom- should be a dominant influence in our life. We should live according to the light. And he reinforced this point by adding the parallel phrase, sons of day. So he's reinforcing that dominant force in our life. So Paul drives a, a point home that the Thessalonian believers were not darkness when emphatically he said, we are not of the night nor of darkness. 
As children of light, we walk in a new sphere. We walk in a new newness of life as new creations. And here comes the challenge. <clears throat> in verse 6, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6-8. through 8. The phrase, so then, emphasizes that inseparable link there between the Christian's nature and their behavior. The link is between the Christian's character and their conduct. What we are determines how we act. Paul, or should, may I say. Paul reminds the believers at Thessalonica that they are uh, day people and they should act accordingly. Because there will be people who will come in and try to deceive you and pull you away. And there will be things that will try to, uh, Satan will try to use in your life to make, uh, have you compromise yourself in the Lord's work and in his, uh, his kingdom way. So the reason Paul challenges the day people to act this way was because of their old nature still being with them. Just because they were saved did not mean that the old nature that they had, the old flesh, was eradicated. It was not done away with. They just inherited a new nature in Christ as they received him. And so Paul was exhorting the believers to live consistently with their new natures. For it's possible for people of light to do deeds of darkness, isn't it? I mean, uh, we still have this old flesh. And the exhortation used the present tense verbs here that was to be a continuous alertness and soberness. In other words, hey, you, once you think that you've got it going for you and you're a new creature and right now you're excited about the Lord and you're living a certain way, he said, don't ease up, be sober, be sober-minded. And the term sleep is a different word used than the one that was used metaphorically uh, for death in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. As children of night and darkness, it is not surprising to find them asleep in spiritual indifference living as if there will be no judgment. And may I say, this is one of the signs that you'll see as the day approaches. Now, all these signs are for the tribulation. All these signs are for the coming of the Lord at the end of the tribulation. But as I said earlier, they cast the shadow. And that shadow is being cast wide and far right now with a lot of these. And I believe that it's, it's letting us know that uh, this could happen at any time and, and we could be raptured up but at, and we should live that way. But also, it should remind us to be alert at all times. 
even if it doesn't happen in our day and time, it could happen. And we're to live that way. It's a challenge put before us. And too many people are staggering through life as if there's no judgment and no God. Christians are uh, to have a walk that has a goal, a purpose. And that goal or purpose is to glorify God, not to satisfy our wants and desires. Although God satisfies them so often, but it's to our main purpose, our main goal is to glorify God. Christians are to have a walk that has a goal, glorifying God, a walk that has a destiny and a hope. Paul tells believers in Romans, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sexuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust in Romans chapter 13. This is what he's telling the people here. Live consistently with your new nature. But if day people walk in darkness, he says, don't be surprised if you start lacking assurance and you become fearful of God's judgment. He says, walk alertly, be sober. It means to be free from the influence of that which will try to control you other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reinforces what he has previously said. He says, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But those who, but since we are of the day, let us be sober. He's telling believers, wake up, get up, dress up, and live up. Live as though the Lord were coming that day for the church. Share with those in need of the light. Be ready. Live obediently. Some steps. Look in 8 through 11. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. So the concepts of being ready, he said, here they are. First, the breastplate of faith deals with the believers trusting God and not their selves. Living a life of dependency on God and not on self and man. Living a life that is trusting in the Lord's person and power and promise and plan. Not in man's. God's person deals with the faithfulness of God. He never deviates from his nature. He will consistently act with his attributes. The writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is God the Son. God can be trusted. Secondly, trusting involves depending. 
we can confidently trust God and his power. God can do anything he pleases, and we should understand that. We are to rely upon him and his power to help us live as, as children of light. And God rhetorically asked Abraham, is anything too difficult for the Lord in Genesis chapter 18? And of course the answer was no. And third, believers can trust God and his promises. If you're going to be dependent upon him, if you're going to have faith in him, you can be assured that his promises are true. Numbers 23, 19 states, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? What God says, we can trust and believe. We may not be able to do that with man, and especially in this day and time, but we can with God. And fourth, believers can trust God's sovereign plan. God has a plan. Satan or man are bigger and more powerful than God. That means that they cannot hinder his ultimate plan. Isaiah tells us, God declared, I act, and who can reverse it? <laughs> Nobody. And then, faith, as I talked about earlier, will help defend the believer against temptation, against all sin that results from a lack of trust in God. Faith in, is, uh, you know, uh, is a breastplate that cannot be penetrated. And to put it in one, or, you know, to, to uh, put it on and to wear it, you've got to study God's Word. You've got to know more about God. You've got to trust in God. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to believe it, and you've got to heed it. Love is, is the inner protection of the uh, breastplate, where faith is the outer shell of protection. They were to love God and the brethren. Love towards God involves delight in and devotion to God as a per, uh, supreme object of affection. This also provides a, a powerful deterrent to sin. Jesus told his followers in Matthew to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and we are to love our neighbors also. Hope of salvation. We are to wear the helmet of hope. The hope of salvation. Salvation is not referring to the past aspect here of justification or the present aspect of sanctification. What he's referring to is the future. The future aspect of it. Now I know all of it's involved in salvation, but this is referring primarily to the future. It's when the Lord comes back to deliver us from the wrath to come. It's a transforming of the body, uh, of our humble state into the conformity of, uh, with the body of His glory. We will have a glorified body. When faith grows weak, love grows cold, and hope is lost. This is why Paul challenges the believer to keep the breastplate of faith and love on with the helmet of hope of salvation firmly in place. 
That way the believer can effectively resist the onslaughts of darkness. It says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, and there he's referring to asleep as different than above, and that is, here he goes back to uh, identifying it with the believers and that who died and or who are still alive, like in chapter 4, we may live together with him. The destinies of believers as opposed to unbelievers is as different as night and day. Day people's destinies are different from night people's destinies because of this reason. Jesus Christ died for us. Whether we have accepted him, whether our parents and our grandparents and our uh, people that we know have passed accepted him and they're, uh, they're, di- they have, they're sleeping right now, they're, they're dead, or whether we're still alive. We, we who have trusted him have received this new nature and we are children of light and we are no longer children of darkness and we have this hope in him. And we know that when he comes back that we will meet him in the air and we'll be glorified in the sense that we will have a glorified body and those who he brings back will receive that glorified body and also we will go to be with him forever. And with this hope, we should be encouraging one another and building up one another. And they knew this truth, and and the truth had set them free. But they were kind of having a little confusion, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of fears. It's not uncommon. But with this truth, they were reassured, and the anxiousness and the fearfulness that they might have been, that might have been creeping in, no longer was to creep in. Paul was giving them that confidence. They were uh, children of light and they would not experience this day of the Lord, this awful time of tribulation. The phrase, just as you also are doing, lets the reader know that they had been practicing these things. So keep on practicing. Even if you don't see the Lord come back in your time and you die, I told you what will happen with all people who have died. He will bring back with him, and you'll receive your glorified body. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up. So there's one of two destinies that awaits every member of the human race. There's either heaven or hell. There's the Lord or hell. He says, watch for the Lord. We're not just to wait for the Lord. We're to wait and watch for the Lord. You know, I can wait at home when Debbie flies to see her mother and coming back. I can wait at home and she could catch a bus home. But I probably, uh, that would be the last time I would be waiting at home. (laughs) But, but I can wait, you know. But I'm not doing anything, am I? I mean, I'm just sitting around. But if I wait and watch, if I go to the airport, then I have to prepare myself. I have to go. I have to, I'm sitting there. I'm watching for the plane. I'm wanting to be ready. I'm wanting to help her 
get her luggage and get in the car, and I'm ready for, uh, to be united with her. That's waiting and watching. There is a difference. What are we? Paul tells us not to just wait, sitting around doing nothing. Let's wait and watch. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this time of worship. I thank you for all that are here and those that are watching. But most of all, God, I thank you for allowing us to lift you up through this entire service. For you to work in our hearts and our lives through the word and for our lives to be changed by the Holy Spirit working in us and dealing with us directing us from the word of God challenging us, convicting us encouraging us so help us God to be faithful to this to be faithful to your word to be faithful to your calling for what you would have us to do to wait and to watch to live hopefully for your return, expectantly, soberly, alertly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. God's dealing with your heart. If you'd like to come and kneel at the altar and pray, please do so.